previously on the Soundless Cinema. painful to relive, my friend, but I am proud of you for seeing it through. You have inspired me, my friend, by facing the darkest parts of yourself. I feel that it is my turn to delve deep within myself and finally fix what has been broken. Goddess of death and dust, I beseech you, if you would accept my prayers, it would be my honor to once again serve as your humble servant. Well, let's go kick some druid butt. Indeed, my friend. You guys proceed into the grove. But on this clearing, it's really hard for you guys not to notice. Two skeletons. One leaning on another briar tree. The seeker wants to loot this shit. You guys proceed. Going further into the grove with newfound magical items. Throughout the vastness of the multiverse, there lies a tavern. As you approach its doors, you catch bubbles of laughter that rise and burst into cheers as colorful groups of travelers find comfort in their bonds. As you head inside, the smile of the tavern keeper greets you. They're an otherworldly being with a bluish corporeal form. They wear attire befitting of an innkeeper, and they have a large cloudy nebula for hair speckled with stars which gently sways with their movement. Welcome to the Storytellers Tavern, where stories are served like ale and a seat is open for you at every table. Tonight's special is the Sunless Citadel, an epic adventure of high fantasy with notes of friendship, danger, and most importantly, hope. Will our adventure survive to descent into the dungeon? Or is there a dark and calamity taking roots far from the sun's reach? After a little bit of time as you guys traverse the grove, as the trees starts to open up little by little, you guys notice something in the distance. Some sort of ruins. Very large pieces of structure. Tall, stone-blocked walls. An area of designated living. Methuselah, you recognize the loose formation of the structure. In a past life, there was a wall meant for the division between the grove proper and open ceiling patio so that a large gatherings could take place. If this is the place that you're thinking, it's the Dark Warden's favorite spot. Instinctively, you guys start to go towards the direction. The trees close to the structure stretch enough so you're able to easily walk past the grove. You don't hear anything at first, but finally getting close enough to the wall, you start to hear conversations. The distance is too big for you guys to make distinctive understanding of what the words are. But there's just a talk between someone to another. What do you guys do? Could we try to do a perception check to hear the voices better? Maybe in what language they are at least? Sure. I got a dirty 20. I got a dirty 1. Uh, Seeker has a 23. <clears throat> I got a 17. Everybody except for Thorn, who's too anxious at this moment to really notice anything. You guys recognize the speech to be common, but the words are still somewhat muffled and mumbled due to the distance. Methuselah's gonna get closer to the group. So, what's our plan? Seeker is going to touch their new bracer. Well, I certainly have a plan. I think we should go in there and attack and win. Maybe we should go in quietly. That way we can see who's there and we can figure out exactly what we want to do first. Yeah, we sneak up on them. I like that thorn. I suppose we should go in wands and swords blazing if we don't know who we're attacking. Yeah, I wouldn't want to hit Faith in the crossfire. As you're the stealthiest one, Seiko, might be better for us to follow your lead. I wouldn't mind taking the lead. So we do a sneak? Please do. Since this is probably the last time, I'm adding knowledge of a past life. Roll for it. Thorn got a 23. Methuselah got a 19. Seeker got a 24. All of you guys, carefully and gingerly, are able to approach silently to the very edge of the ruin where it opens to do the lack of the rest of the structure. Do you guys peek to see what's beyond the walls? I suppose so. Doing so, 
you guys see first biggest of all things that composes the inside of this ruin in an open area there is the huge skeleton of a dragon for the dark warden was killed in this area i think i need to do a wisdom save sure seeker in seeing this giant dragon skeleton they're going to stand in front of methuselah because they have a very large body methuselah you can do this you're strong enough the dark warden can't hurt you look it's a skeleton so thank you for the help because i got a nat one and a don't worry about it 17. with the help of your friends you're able to compose yourself then you allow yourselves to look at the rest in front of the fallen skeleton of the mighty dragon there's also the biggest tree you have ever seen even bigger and broader than daphne's tree the main distinguishing feature of all this tree is clearly dead in the way that it's just branches devoid of any leaves in any kind was this tree here when i was here last or is it new no it was not here when you were last here this tree is huge and the branches of course they spread out there are five main branches thicker than most of the others stretches upwards resembling a hand clawing for the sky this tree is atop a small incline at the foot of the tree there are two figures one is wearing the same robes as those skeletons but is completely hooded. There's another robed figure. This one is taking care of a long sword of sorts, but weird in shape. Beside the robed figure, at the foot of the tree, there's this raggedy looking fella that is holding the bottom end of what would be a staff, trying to reach for something on the tree. Looking from behind, this raggedy fella has clothes that are mistreated, except for his left arm. This leaf is flowing about. Is there any apples on this tree? That's immediately what I'm looking for. With your perception check, you are able to notice small fruit that is slightly being touched at the very end of the staff that the raggedy individual is trying to touch. The odd feller beside this individual is somewhat looking up as if they were ready to pick up the apple. But the apple has a white color to it. Well, I think I see the apple of virtue. Is there any sign of Faith or her human companion? Nothing that would indicate the two. Would you say there's anything around here that would make it easy for us to sneak behind to get closer? Unfortunately, this area is just dirt and small grass. So what's our plan? Shall we go in? Shall we just make ourselves known and try to see who these people are? I guess. Oh. We shouldn't immediately go on the offensive, but we should definitely be cautious. We don't know who these people are. One of them's probably the druid, but who the other people here are helping the druid, we don't know. Well, uh, Mortis, this is a big moment for you, so if this is the druid, I think that it's best that we stand behind you at the ready. Oh yes, and I did mean that, like, metaphorically, as in we have your back, not literally, as if we are cowering. I understood your meaning, my friend. Even though I am eager to face Balak, I'm slightly concerned about Faith and the others. Do you all think it wise to march up and reveal ourselves? I think we could, and then while we're fighting, if we can see if we can find Faith, because, well, she, she'd be pretty handy in a fight. I think that it might be best that either all of us or some of us go out and make ourselves known and try to get a better view of if Faith or Sir Bradford are being held here. And then if things go sour, you know, we could all attack. Maybe some of us could stay hidden while the others go up. A sort of a distraction. I mean, you guys kind of have a general idea of what Faith looks like, but as the one here who knows her best, perhaps I should be the one to sneak around and see if I can see her and Sir Bradford. If if you guys want to be the ones to go and see what you can find out. But I'll, I'll be ready to fight if, if that's what it comes down to. I'm not trying to get out of a fight. I'm okay with that. Sounds good to me. Should be agreeable. Though if we're going to part here, there is something I wanted to do quickly. And he uh, glances over at Seeker. Would I see your rapier for a moment? Uh, yeah, I, I suppose you can. Seeker's gonna pull their rapier from their belt and 
hand it to Mortis. Mortis holds it delicately in his hand, and he clutches his holy symbol with one hand and gestures over it, and he prays quietly. O great she, goddess of the dust, empower this weapon so that this holy warrior may destroy the evil of this place. And I'm going to cast magic weapon. And then as Mortis prays, this blue light envelops the sword for a moment, and then specifically the blade of the weapon becomes this really vibrant blue for a moment before fading to become less saturated. Thank you, Mortis. That really means a lot. I hope that what we've achieved down here so far is something that she would be proud of. I know that the cat lady would be really proud of us, and I hope Luxair is proud of us, and, and I hope that Lyrta is proud too. Keep your wits about you. That spell only lasts an hour, but it should be useful. Are we ready? I guess I am. Ready as we can be. Let's go then. Mortis marches towards the group of people with determination. Once he's within distance where they see him, he shouts at the top of his lungs, Belak, we've come for you. The proud and strong voice of your paladin companion echoes within the area, making the two halt at what they are doing, as well as the one on the mound. The one raggeded man brings the staff low, forgetting the app that he was reaching for. And he turns around. You see this very weathered, sun-tanned, middle-aged man. Beard, mostly uncapped. Clothes that are almost like a tunic, but tied very tightly with a rope. A sickle, pouches here and there. Looks at you guys and go, Hold on. You do not know what you do. We are looking for the vile creature that has corrupted this land and raised the dead to do his bidding. Yes, I has raised the dead, but only to keep this place. Now as to vile, I do not know what you mean by it. This place holds evil magic, and you are keeping it, tending to it, nurturing it. There's no such thing as evil in nature. There's just the law of nature, nothing more. And I as a druid have a responsibility for it. I tend to it. Mortis noticeably clenches his teeth as Belak's talking, and then he snaps. You don't have the right to call yourself a druid. Druids are meant to respect nature, not manipulate it. You accuse me of something you clearly do not know. I have never manipulated nature. I've only cared for it, tended it, and make sure it would flourish. Who are you anyway? Why do you come inside of my abode? We come for friends that you've taken. What friends are you talking about? A tabaxi, known as Faith, and a human man, known as Sir Bradford. Yeah, his face stiffens a little bit, weighted in a way. I am sorry to hear that I brought pain to you. If it makes you feel better, they were not taken by me, but by those that work under me. And I understand that it may be hard to accept, but the same way a mother fox kills off a rabbit to feed their young, I have taken what was given to me and provided to my plants. Nothing more, nothing less. There was no evil behind it. But you're killing people, and you've manipulated my people, my tribe. You've turned them into something they're not. You've turned them violent. What you're doing here is not okay. The goblinoids were already angry and violent when I found them. All that I did was ask them to care for me and I would provide them magic and power that they were interested in. And you keep the goblins in the dark. Their, their people have gone through such trials and been outcast by many up on the surface. And yet here you are instead of offering a chance to change and be accepted, keeping them down here in the dark like the animals. It's not right. They have free will, they can leave at any moment. I do not dictate what goes in their community. All that I do is make business with them that they are more than willing to provide. Do you truly have no care for the lives that you take? It is how it is. Do you feel pity when you hunt for food? I think there's a difference. Clearly have no value for life that you so want to tend. That is blatantly wrong. He looks at the tree. Care for life, I care for it. Look at her. All I see here is death. I look dead. She lives. When I found her, she was starving. She lives and thrives even though there's no light to nourish her. In her own way, she is an outcast. A tree that requires the sacrifice of others to live does not deserve to exist. 
Why would you shun something so beautiful? Mortis draws his greatsword and holds it out. I will debate no longer with you, worm. Hold on. What is it that you want? Our friends, do you still have them or have they already been fed to your precious tree? Now that is a complicated answer. Yes, I have them. Where are they? They're safe. If you guys have your friends, will you just leave? Give us our friends back and we will leave. Alright then. And with that last alright, the robed figures turn and they unveil their hoods. A human with blonde hair, blue eyes, and a tabatsi with gray fur. But the skin of the human is rough, cracked, like bark. Although it's less noticeable on the tabatsi, in areas that it's not covered by the fur, you can see the same details. They are your friends. What have you done to them? I gave it to my tree. She usually would just feed on those that were brought to her, but not these. These two had something special in them, and the tree made something wonderful. They're alive, but they are caring for the tree. Is there anything that I can do to get perception to see if there's anything off about Faith and Sir Bradford? If they're really alive or are they undead? What's the situation? Do a perception check. Can I help Methuselah? Sure. I got a 21 for perception. Should Seeker do a wisdom save seeing their sister like that? Sure. An 11 for the wisdom save. You do not understand the whole rough skin, but one thing does pick your eye. Against the ghostly light, you notice violet glow on their eyes. Methuselah is going to gingerly approach Faith and Sir Bradford. Hello, friends. You're safe now. They look at you. They don't really respond to you. Can I do an arcana check as I get closer to see the magic in their eyes and what that might be? Go right ahead. That's a 19. You're almost sure that they are under some sort of spell. This is going to look at Black. There's some sort of spell on them. They're not themselves. The tree did something to them. The tree brought them back. After I buried them at her roots, they returned. And they were a part of her as she is a part of them. Don't you see this tree's evil? It eats people, it's creating corruption of nature. It's turned our friends into something that isn't them anymore. How can you justify taking care of something like this? People not understand that even those that are not necessarily the same are worth something. I was an outcast, thrown away by my circle. She is an outcast in her own way too. We're all outcasts here. I'm undead. Thorn here was in the village that you enslaved. You don't have to be like this and have the excuse of being an outcast. Make up for all the bad things that you've done. It doesn't make sense. Call yourselves an outcast and yet you're here ready to destroy another one of you. Sure, she, she might not have the best of origins. And he looks at her again. Through many meditations and tendering to her, she finally opened up to me. And although she comes from what seems to be the joining between a wooden stake and a vampire, she grew when it was supposed to be the death of one life that came anew. She doesn't deserve death again, neither more than you do. No, I, if you don't understand this, fortunately, I think I can't allow you guys to leave. Mortis takes another step forward and raises his blade again. You speak as though you are an innocent. We have spoken with the true residents of this land. We've spoken with the dryad known as Daphne. We know what your corruption has done to this land. If you continue to defend that monstrosity behind you, then I will be forced to strike you down. You're taking the word of that dryad, and she told you about how the village beside her forests were looking for lumber, how they were going to kill off the entire woods that she's supposed to protect. I saved her. Sure, I abducted her, but she was going to die. Brand me as you want, but in the end, she's alive because of me, and I will not let you touch this tree of mine, my precious thing. If you're going to strike us down, then so be it, but know this, and then... Sir Bradford raises his blade as well as uh, Faith brings out a little toy that has a jingle bell inside. We are gonna defend our own. Thorn shakes his head and goes, 
you talk about being an outcast as if you're the same as us. And he gestures between him and Methuselah. But being outcaster from society doesn't mean you have to hurt people. The goblins of my tribe are angry. And instead of showing them compassion and helping them understand that they can't be accepted by others, you gave them the means to turn their anger into violence. You take people who are trying to heal others. You kidnap them and you turn them into food for your tree. You bring suffering and you enable others and their violence. You act like you can be comparable to an outcast, but in reality, you're just a sad monster. Methuselah's gonna step up beside Thorn with Yorick ready. You've become as corrupt as the nature that you're sworn to protect. All you guys seek is to destroy what is misunderstood. You will serve as good sustenance to my tree in the end. And let's roll for initiative. Methuselah, it is your turn. So Methuselah instantly starts playing Yorick, and the music becomes this loud, booming noise that erupts around Methuselah as the visible sound waves come to a visible existence in red, violent light. It's bass boosted kind of around Methuselah, and in a very rocker sort of way, banging their head, they cry out, This is your final act! and then points up in the air and the sound waves just explode upwards and then just rain down upon right where Black is in front of the tree and I cast Shatter. Then I am going to continue to play on Yorick and the strings are gonna go in this flashy rainbow color as the even the shadows start to change and form different colors. I am going to give Bardic inspiration to Mortis as I play his little ditty in the song. Small craters created in the area focused on your spell just behind Sir Bradford but clearly catching a little bit of Belak who leans to the side quickly and instinctively just so Faith can catch him before he falls. Next is Belak. He quickly lets go of the staff that he has to then go to one of the pockets and pull out a wand made of tangled vines almost. He points towards Methuselah and the wand starts to glow where the vines intertwine. The glow on the wand is orange, and so does the ground underneath you starts to glow orange as well. As out of nowhere, these weird vines just appears and starts to entangle with you. I need you to roll for me. I got a 16. You see the vines starting to entangle around you, but you quickly sidestep it, able to get out of it. I imagine that Methuselah just sees the vines coming and just pushes them out of the way. No, I don't have this kink. <laughs> Alright, Belak uses his bonus action to pop in one of the vials that he has on his belt. After drinking from their little bottle, he feels reinvigorated. And then, Seeker appears out of nowhere from the rubble. Then they're going to move to another location so that they're not exactly where Belak probably saw them. You move down the wall that you're in, trying to get behind Belak and where your sister also is. Next is Mortis. Blade in hand, Mortis is going to look at his surroundings and try to move around the mound to get as close as he can to Belak uh, with his 30 feet of movement. Yeah, you move as fast as you can around the mound and getting close you're just 10 feet away from Belak and Faith. Mortis then raises his blade up and begins praying. Almighty she, strike down with a lightning bolt of power so that I may reduce this fool to cinders. He raises his blade into the air and it becomes enveloped in a red lightning uh, as I cast Thunderous Smite. Charged up with this magical enhancement, the blade starts to glow and sparks of red lightning emanates from it too, almost as if it was trying to connect with other things in the area. But it just creates this awesome view. And as I can't make it to him, Mortis is going to hold his weapon up. Uh, he's not going to prepare an action or anything, but he is just going to stand at the ready for the next move. Next is Faith of the Lady. She brings out this toy, which is not better than what seems to be a ball of yarn enveloping a bell of some sort. And as it dangles from a single string, she flips it over and catches it midair. And as she does, she actually tosses it to the side. As she does, another faith catches it and tosses back. And she causes invoke duplicity. 
And Faith is going to use her bonus action to do a very cute meow. This meow seems to be charged up as well, as there is a small flash of red light that emanates from Faith's mouth. And that easily affects Belak as he feels more reinvigorated. And then she's gonna move around the mound to position herself a little bit better. As Belak tells her, move over there, take them out. Next is Thorn. He will cast Electric Blast at Belak. Thorn raises his hands as this red light glows and it charges up more than it usually does. And when it fires the blast of flowers, the two beams of flower blasts launch towards Black. And then when it hits him, instead of just usually exploding, they explode with quite a lot of force as the flowers rain down. Covered by flowers as Black is taken both on the chest and head, creating devastating amounts of damage. He bleeds from the impact area as well as he spits blood on the ground, trying to catch himself on the side of the tree. And Thorn looks at his hands. Yeah! And he's looking around. Did I do that? Thorn will take go 10 feet backwards. And uh, that's what will in his turn. As you're going back a little bit to great distance, you start to hear little laughter, the other thorn submerging. I need you to roll a wisdom saving throw. That's a 17. After thorn distancing himself from the group and tries to look for cover, he feels this weird landing behind him. Looking behind thorn, he sees a frog bigger than he is. After a few moments of awkwardness, thorn doesn't know what to do until the frog opens his mouth and bites on Thorn. <laughs> 17 to hit. That's a hit. A total of seven bludgeoning damage as Thorn is just enveloped by this frog. And it is important to say that you are instantly grappled by this frog. Until the grapple ends, you're, you're considered restrained. You guys just see Thorn's legs kicking outside of its mouth as it goes... You hear Belak. Go, Kilcock! Go! Next is a breath. After the pet of Belak bites on Thorn, Belak turns to Sir Bradford. Go on, take care of the fighter! Sir Bradford then angles himself to face you, Mortis, and using all of their movement, they go over the mound to put himself in front of you, brandishing his very weird blade. Basically a long sword, but that curves at the very tip making a hook almost. He goes for his attack. A 22 to hit. That it? Holding with both hands. So Bradford brings down this blade of his, causing a total of 12 slashing damage as the blade carries so much more weight than he actually should. It's almost as if it is enhanced in some way. Erky just looks at Sir Bradford that quickly strikes and hits Mortis just so he can go Oh no then, alright, Lyrton's light! Absorb the light! And he points towards Sir Bradford. The halo of light appears on top of Sir Bradford. With reddish hue comes down the fire of Lyrta, but Sir Bradford, with quite an expertise and prowess, jumps to the side, avoiding the damage. And then Erky just screams, Sorry! Top of the round, Methuselah. Methuselah's gonna pause playing for a moment, and then it's gonna say, Friends, allies, countrymen, lend me your ears. And then Methuselah starts to play the abridged rock ballad version of the Song of the Sunless Citadel. And as the music resonates and picks up, and a violet light starts to appear around Yorick in the shadow, filled with this light as well. And then in this flash of blinding light that just spills out from him, as it ends, these petals fall from the sky. And I cast a motivational song. And as the petals kind of fall on all of my allies, you guys get five temporary hit points and then as I finish this really cool awesome song I am going to continue to play as the music becomes more erratic and wild and the strings once again go this rainbow color and I'm gonna give Thorn Bardic Inspiration for doing that epic Eldritch Blast 
as you give Thorn Bardic Inspiration. You look around to see, usually people thank you for you giving them inspiration. Only to look around and see the Thorn is pretty much waist deep inside of the mouth of what seems to be a giant frog. Giving Bardic Inspiration to your feet. Beautiful. And then that'll be my turn. Belak. Looking around the best he can, he does move around to position himself behind Faith. And then he pops in another one of his vials. After drinking his vial, he feels a little bit better, but then he grabs on what seems to be some sort of dirt from inside of one of his pouches. He says something almost like humming, and then he puts the dirt just where his affected area on the chest is. And then a glow of reddish light appears as well, as he fills himself with more vigor. With all that said, now it is Seeker of the Wind. Seeker speeds up with incredible speed, in a way that only they know how to do, in moments of need that they know how to move fast. Going around the tree, they are ready to attack the rack, brandishing their rapier that is now magically enhanced by the powers of Shi. They are ready to strike Belak from behind, when they glimpse Faith, beautiful, like it was the day that she left, only for you to not notice the root that is uprooting the ground, and you step and trip, falling full throttle onto the ground beside Belak. And you missed the opportunity to attack it. Mortis, your turn. Seeing Seeker fall next to Balak, Mortis rushes in. He basically ignores Sir Bradford and strafes around him on his path to get to Balak before he can hurt Seeker. That provokes an opportunity to attack from Sir Bradford, and she must be on your side. For as you move strategically around Sir Bradford, you expect a retaliation. And as Sir Bradford brings in this glistening blade, you bring in the blade, parrying it and driving it to the side away from you. And now you're able to pass by him and move forward towards Belak and Faith with Seeker on the ground. And once Mortis is within range of Belak, he's going to do a cross cut across his chest. How are you gonna do this? After parrying Sir Bradford's blade, uh, he moves within range of Belak, and just before he can retaliate in any way, Mortis slashes him across the chest with his sword, and as he hits him, the thunder disperses into him, sending him flying back ten feet, and then as he attacks, Mortis just shouts out, This is for everyone you've hurt! Die! You cut! Belak, from shoulder almost to waist, and with the sheer force and the impact, it booms, bringing him spinning, landing onto the tree trunk. As he crashes on the ground, only seconds before he can die, he turns to you and goes, Don't kill her. You do not know what you hurt. <laughs> and dies. After killing Belak, Mortis is going to reposition his blade and slash at the trunk of the tree. You slash at the trunk of the tree, it splinters fly off, and there is a guttural sound that emanates from the tree, almost as if it was a very deep creaking in reaction to it. So Bradford and Faith seem unfazed. In a brief moment of pause after slashing the tree, uh, Mortis is going to use his bonus action to reach a hand down to Seeker. Seeker takes Mortis's hand. Are you alright, my friend? Kind of embarrassing. I was hoping to show Faith all the cool things I'd learned, and instead I fell on my face. Well, we still have to free her and Sir Bradford, so let's do this. And then he's gonna hold his blade up. Yeah, let's do this. Once again, the tree makes another guttural sound, as if it was almost like a longing sound. And you guys, especially Mortis and Seeker, who are close, notice <laughs> Sir Bradford and Faith crying, crying unfazed, just tears flowing down their eyes without any change on their expression. Would you allow Seeker to hug Faith? Quickly, you approach Faith and hug almost instinctively. Faith embraces you as you feel an excruciating pain 
from your back. Pain so horrific. You don't know if you have ever felt something so painful in your life. Mortis, you see the paws of faith touching the back of Seeker? Glowing green as you suffer a total of 12 necrotic damage. Instinctively, you pull away from her hold as you notice that her paws were still glowing green. Faith? Uh, what happened? The other Faith, the one on the other side, grabs on some pebbles on the ground that glows in of bluish light. And that's her turn. Thorn, you are in a very warm place right now. Thorn is going to roll strength save to try to get the heck out. I got a seven. You're still firmly restrained within the inside of the mouth of this giant frog. Now it is the frog's turn. As you stay within the mouth of the frog, the frog just perks up, opens its mouth really quick, swallowing Thorn completely. As you do so, you get the first barrage of damage from the frog's insides. Now it is Sir Bradford who approaches Mortis and goes for an attack, bringing up the blade up in the sky and bringing it down towards you. Almost hits you. If it wasn't for your experience and expertise in the art of the blade, you are able to deflect the blade. Now it is Erky. Erky looks around to the best of his abilities and sees the giant frog. He goes, oh no, is that where Thorn went? Myrta, help me save my friend. And then he makes the arch motion that appears on top of the frog as a glowing of red color before the pillar of fire descends onto this creature. The fire envelops the frog. Top of the round, Methuselah. Methuselah is going to see poor Thorn get eaten by this giant frog. Oh no! And I start to play a creepy song on Yorick and the shadows start to elongate. And the shadow that used to be the shades rises up behind me and then points to the frog. And then the shadowy figure says, put that down. I'm casting cause fear on this guy. This frog is not only frightened, but is filled with horrible regret about eating thorn. The effect of the spell envelops this creature as the shadows creep in close to it. It spits thorn quickly. <laughs> when thorn comes out, he's like <laughs> dying. Can I get close to where the apple is under it? It's where Belak and Faith was. Currently now, fighting Mortis and Seeker. Seeker, your turn. So, Seeker is going to attack Sir Bradford with their rapier. You thrust your rapier that goes past his defenses and strikes true to the side of his body. Morris is going to look with sorrow at the situation, how they're still fighting us. We must try to end this without bloodshed. Let me see if I can subdue them. Morris is going to rip his holy symbol and start praying under his breath and as he does these white ethereal moth wings appear behind him he starts to cast out this wave of energy that washes over both sir bradford and faith and i'm going to cast command a voice speaks into their minds as mortis says with utter power sleep you see them hesitating for a few seconds but then they proceed to continue attacking you guys. Mortis will hold up his blade and uh, say to both of them, This isn't you. You don't have to fight us. Next is Faith. As Faith just does a quick meow beside Sir Bradford with a glowing of red light emanating from her mouth. Sir Bradford feels reinvigorated by it too and the other faith on the mound looks at Methuselah and throws one of the stones that she grabbed the, the round before does a 19 hit that hits plus seven bludgeoning damages the impact of this magically charged stone just hits the side of your shoulder and that will be her turn Thorn, you were just spat out by this frog that seems to be in distress of some sort as it's trying to walk backwards with its mouth ajar. Thorn's gonna use Nimble Escape to disengage as a bonus action and he's gonna 
use his movement to go closer to where Mortis and Seeker are. Thorn, after getting closer to where the tree is, raises his hands and begins mumbling a spell that glows orange. And as it glows orange, it's almost as if this horde of butterflies begin fluttering around to form what seems to be a humanoid shape beside Thorn as he uses Summon Fey. This smaller Thorn looks almost as if you took Thorn and mixed him with a fairy or a pixie, and it has a very angry expression on its face. And in its hand, it is wielding a short sword. Thorn will look at this the little fey that he summoned and go, Protect my friends! And he'll point towards Sir Bradford. And the little fey goes, and salutes him and gets ready to run over there and attack. And this one. As this little fake creature runs up to him, it stabs him in the ankle and it doesn't do anything. And then it double hands the short sword, raises it above its head kind of comically, and slams the sword down on his shin. And then it's just a little blast of force damage as well as the piercing damage. It affects him as he almost falls to the ground, but he still steadies himself. As you sent that little caricatured version of Thorn ahead to attack the enemy. The other form is able to laugh his way into the light. Unfortunately, old Thorn swept back. And now, the Thorn that we know strides forward. You guys hear the familiar laughter from Thorn. Yeah, he starts like dancing around, cheering his little fae buddy on and just basically erratic like he usually is. Sir Bradsford's turn takes a moment to consider the enemies around him and he steals himself, taking a deep breath and letting it go as the eyes of a warrior emerges as he opens them again. And now he attacks the little guy, the little thorn. It tries to block the blade of Sir Bradford with the short sword, but as the blade of the weirdly curved sword of Sir Bradford hits the short sword. The little short sword is shattered. And that's what makes the attack hit so well into the little creature. Erky, he's gonna try to go around the mound so he can engage in battle too, trying to reach for his friends. And uh, grasping his uh, holy symbol as he's running, he goes, Lirta's light! Open his eyes, please! And then another halo appears on top of Sir Bradford. As the fire goes down, Sir Bradford dodges again. And with that, that's his turn. Top of the round, Methuselah. Methuselah gets stirred by the sound of Thorn's cackling laughter and is reminded of the deal between the Marquis and Thorn and what this Thorn said about what he wanted to give. And I think about, you know, how much I care about Thorn and how much I hate the Marquis and how I don't want the Marquis to hurt Thorn anymore. So I'm going to climb up the rest of the way to the tree as I throw alchemist fire at the tree. <laughs> Knowing what I just did might hurt Faith and Sir Bradford in some way. I know that that might also hurt Seeker as well. I'm just going to play a tune, the Song of Faith that I had made earlier. Seeker, is now your turn. Would they potentially be able to see if they can persuade faith in any way you're welcome to try dirty 20 to try and persuade faith to just stop what she's doing you say deep within your hearts words that are meant to connect with faith and asking her to stop for all that is holy to her to stop those words fall into deaf ears. Mortis, your turn. Mortis sees Methuselah set the tree on fire, and he also takes a second to notice that Seeker's words aren't affecting Faith, and then he turns his attention to the tree. This is the only way. I have to do this. And then he's going to slash at the tree with all his might. Powerful strike that cuts deep within the tree, causing a horrible slash on the side of the bark. If you feel the tree shaking as the sound appears again. But this was a devastating attack for sure. 
And using my extra attack that I have now, Mortis is going to attack again. And I would like to smite. 11 slashing damage and 13 radiant damage. How do you want to do this? I feel like Mortis slashes against the tree with his first attack. And then he stabs his sword into the tree with his second, pushes it deeper, and then he can feel the radiant energy off of his blade. This ends now. And then a giant spectral moth appears above him and opens his wings just as there's an explosion of radiant light. And this light, as it radiates around you guys, creating an absurd amount of brightness within this entire area, illuminating everything. The sword goes deep within the bark, and where it pierces in, it cracks the entire tree. Cracks that starts to spread with the light of she within as well, and then the tree starts to crumble with the branches falling down until the point that the tree barely recognizable. It is crumbles within itself and outwards too. The tree is dead, so is the source of the evil inside of the Sullen Citadel. <laughs> as soon as the tree is destroyed, Mortis immediately turns his attention back to Faith and Sir Bradford. The moment that the tree collapses and falls, there is a recognizable difference to their expression. Faith is confused and unaware of what's going on, as well as Sir Bradford that lowers his blade and looks around to you guys. What? What is... Seeker? And it's Faith. It's talking to you. Faith? Faith! Seeker is just going to wrap her up in a hug and kind of gently cradle her to their chest. You hold on to her until you hear steps behind you and the one that you're holding just dissolves. I'm here, you silly. Seeker is going to turn around. I knew that, and they're gonna give her a hug again. And the two embrace. Can Seeker pull back a little bit from the hug? Oh, I should probably introduce you and Sir Bradford to my new friends. Oh, yeah, please. Okay, so the turtle, that's Mortis, and the goblin, that's Thorn, and the bard, that's Methuselah, and the gnome, turns out they're real, that's Erky. And there was also Meepo, who is a cobalt, but he got eaten by a dragon. Oh, wow. That's such a varied group. Meanwhile, can I say Methuselah tries to get the apple? Do a perception check. Let's say 15. After looking around a little bit, you do find the apple underneath one of the branches that fell kind of bruised a little bit but still there the apple very albino like color you pick it up it's in your grasp do i feel anything when i pick it up any sort of magic it does have a special gleam against the light which would indicate magical traits to it why did you hurt the tree thorns has something very interesting that he wanted to do with it the little fish Thorn version starts to blow raspberries onto you guys. Methuselahs, do you think thorns could have only a tiny piece? I'm, uh, I'm not really sure what we should do with this. It came from something evil. I'm not sure it's exactly what we thought it was. We need to figure out what it is, if it's safe. Thorn knows exactly what to do with it. You just need to trust thorns. Are you? Going to give it to the Marquis. No! Thorns is not no Thorns knows exactly how to tell exactly what the apples is. Yeah, you can tell for a moment, you're kinda like, what? Cause Thorn has this little glimp in his eye. You can trust me, I'm your friend, and then you're like, man, fuck this goblin, I don't trust shit. I think we should first let Mortis see this. He knows what's best, and I trust him to know if there's good or evil within this. No, 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 no. I don't give it to Mortis. Gives it to Thorns because Thorns is your friend. And you know that Thorns has very much important things. And you know that Thorns loves Mustusalas very much. So Thorns should have the apple. You know, lying isn't a very friendly thing to do. Yes, 
but Thorns does really, really want the apple. And Methuselah should give a gift to Thorn. I think Thorn needs to have a little bit of patience. And then I'm going to go towards Mortis. Come on, help me out here. I'm going towards Mortis with the apple. I'm going to say, meanwhile, um, after the battle kind of calmed down, Mortis sheathes his blade, and he's just politely conversing with Faith and Sir Bradford. Ah, yes, uh, as Seeker said, I'm Mortis. Uh, Sorry about that little fight we got into. I I did my best not to hurt you. Uh, I hope the both of you are all right. Do you need any healing at all? Sir Bradford speaks up first. Well... I do feel somewhat bruised and stuff, but uh, I don't remember any battle between us. That evil tree had you both within its grasp. Uh, It was controlling your actions. The two of them look at the tree stump and stuff? Oh, wow. I guess. The last thing I remember is buried here. Bound and buried. If we can, I would like to leave this place. Indeed. And then Methuselah appears. I just wanted to say that as Methuselah's going, Thorn stays back and he turns away to like whisper to himself and paces and goes, Oh, what should I do? What should I do? I don't want to hurt friends for Apple. No, no, don't want to do any of that. What do I do? Pacing and then he takes out his book and goes, What do I do? I don't want to lose you. A smile appears on your face. As you quickly turn the page, you see the answer. You don't need to hurt your friends. Just need to grab the apple and swallow it. I have found this, and I'll show the apple to Mortis. Ah, that's a relief. Uh, I was worried when we started attacking the tree that we may have had to sacrifice the apples. I'm happy that you were able to recover one. I am two things. Number one, Thorn really wants this. And number two, I don't know if you've got a bad feeling, but I have somewhat of a bad feeling about this. It's an apple of healing, yet it came from something vampiric and evil. I was wondering if maybe you could make sure that it's it's okay. I don't know if you know anything to find evil. Mortis will take the apple into his hand. Let me see if perhaps I can detect any ill intent using my divine sense. And then he's going to pray over the apple, and he's going to use his divine sensibility. Seeker, if you don't mind maybe keeping an eye out on, on Thorn. Oh yeah, I, I could do that. Um... If, uh, if we need to distract him, Faith and I can figure something out. Speaking of, so Seeker looks and doesn't see anything. Thorn has gone invisible. Uh, okay, where did Thorn go? Shit. Methuselah trusts me to do one thing. Roll your thing first. Thorn, I'll give you a gold piece if you come out. You are trying to inspect it in any way that you can. You could swear that the legend said that the apple was gold. The one in front of you is albino, pale white. Mortis, as you concentrate, you taste a horrific feeling of rot, as if you had just bit on a very, very rotted meat. Based on how I've used this ability before, is the feeling similar to when I sense an undead? Yes. There is a rot within this apple. It is not dissimilar to the feeling I have whenever I detect undead using my divine sense. There is something impure going on here. Yes, I I don't think this is the same sort of apple that was fabled. The one that I heard about was was gold. We need to destroy it right now before Thorn can get it. On that small moment where... Thorn catches and touches the the apple. The hand of Methuselah goes on a spin on a complete 360 in a y-axis, allowing Thorn to touch the apple but don't have a grip on the apple. And then he stumbles on the side just beside Methuselah and Mortis, now without the invisibility. Mortis looks at Thorn solemnly. I know you 
think that this is all just fun and games, but there's something here you're not seeing. I recall the terms that the Marquis laid out, but this is not the way. And then Mortis is going to crush the apple in his hands. As Mortis crushes the apple in his hands, uh, there is a holy power of white glow in his hands as he uses smite on a claw attack. As the motion of the claw attack reaches the apple, the motion leaving behind these particles of the moth's wing, it hits the apple and the apple not only explodes on impact, but all its pieces just goes into dust into the air. It's been completely destroyed. He looks down at Thorn. I am sorry, my friend. Thorn smiles unbroken and he just like laughs himself a little bit. Honestly, questions. Do you think Thorns is stupid, Mortis? Mortis looks down at you confused. No, Thorn, I don't think you're stupid. I just... I think you're a bit misguided when it comes to this situation. Then maybe you do think Thorns is stupid. Do you think Thorns does not know that Thorns is being manipulated? Do you think Thorns does not know when Thorns is being tricked? Do you think Thorns does not know these things? See, the difference is Thorns wants it to happen because Thorns is never wants to go back to anything that Thorns is used to be. And this entire time you come and try to help Thorns. But the whole Thorns is does not want to be helped and Thorns is wants to be safe and happy. But now friends has made it though Thorns will not be happy. Thorn, none of us are trying to manipulate you. We want to help you. The Marquis is the one that's lying to you. He's he's not your friend. And if you keep with him and him alone, he's going to make you lose your family, your friends, everyone. You're going to have nothing except for the Marquis. I don't think that's something that's worth wanting, is to lose everything and to lose more. We're your family, Thorn. We can be. But you can't keep the Marquis. He's not good. He's not doing what's best for you. He wants you to hurt. He wants you to feel pain so he can feed on it. I know what that's like. I've had something feed on me. With those deep words from your friend, you start to feel in the back of your head the old thorn trying to reach for the light. The old thorn is able to overcome the other. And now the smile subsides to a natural and relaxed expression. The old thorn sighs and looks at Methuselah and Mortis and Seeker, but then looks back to Mortis and goes, I appreciate you helping me, but I can't let it take you. This is my burden to hurt, not yours. I swore to you that I would find some way to stop the Marquis. I worry that due to your more erratic side, the influence of the Marquis may be too much. It is not that I do not believe in you. It is simply my need to protect you. Besides, I think that maybe if we find a way to keep the Marquis in Mortis, we can find a way to banish it or destroy it. But what happens to Mortis if the Marquis becomes his patron? I will not let its power envelop me. Were I the broken man that you saw earlier today, Perhaps it would be different, but my resolve has never been stronger. With the power of she and through the shared strength of our glorious party, I have faith that I will be able to overcome him. And Seeker's gonna look at their friends. And, uh, Thorn, now, you remember how I said that I saw you as a younger brother? Yeah. Now, you don't just have me as your sibling, you also have an older sister, and we also want to protect you as well. You know, Faith just met you, but she probably, I would think based off of, well, knowing her her entire life, that she would want to help you. And also, she would want to help Mortis, I think. I hope. Faith? What do you think? Well... Although my experience with goblins have not been the best, if my sibling Seeker believes in you, I'm more than willing to accept you. Thorn nods and goes, Okay, I guess I trust you, but only one condition. I'm not just gonna skip town and run because I'm no longer under the influence of the Marquis. I'm gonna help you. 
I'm not just gonna continue living my life knowing that you took this burden from me. I don't expect you to run. I will stay with you so long as my being with you does not put you in danger. We will never part. This I swear. Even if it puts me in danger, you can't get rid of me. I've more than learned that, my friend. (laughs) He doesn't really go in for a hug, but he gives you a bit of a smile. But you can tell that he's still kind of uncertain. And, uh, if you guys don't mind, you can always come travel with me and Chrysantha. Well, I still need something to offer to the Marquis, and I think I know what it's going to be. And Mortis is going to kind of march over to Belak's body. And Mortis is going to search him for his druidic focus. You find his druidic focus. Uh, Yule bracelet. That is on the only arm that he has. Mortis pulls off the bracelet without any sort of grace. And he stares down at the body for a moment. You are a disgrace. You are a disgrace to all druids in life. But... May you find some semblance of peace in the afterlife. And then he does a quick prayer over him. While that's going on, Methuselah's going to properly like introduce themselves to Faith and to Bradford and just be like, Oh, I've heard so much about you. I'm Methuselah of Fool's Fortune. And would you like to hear about my muse? I've heard so much about you, but you need to hear about my muse. And I'm just going to talk their ear off. But as I do so, I kind of do like some sort of perception or something mm-hmm. because they said they were buried and died medicine medicine uh 19 aside from their skin that still retains that bark like roughness and cracks they look healthy they're talking they they are conscious Methuselah feels very glad that both of them are are okay and, and alive and not having to experience the kind of pain of death that Methuselah went through and is just going to keep talking their ear off about Chrysantha. And they are being as polite as possible, although like Sir Bradford at some point does stop you and goes, it was really nice to know and meet you, but I think we should leave. I don't know how dangerous this place still is, but I think it's best for us to just return to Tom's rest. Oh yes, of course, and while we're going there you can tell me all about your adventures. Well, I think we did a pretty good job of uh, clearing out this place of hostiles, but you never know. There could be more. Before we head off, uh, does anyone need any sort of healing? I think I'm mostly okay. What about you, Faith? I'm fine. I haven't been hurt. And so, Bradford, well, I'm okay too. As long as we get home, we should kind of rest there. And what about you, Mortis? Are, are you well? He kind of takes like a mental check. It's like, I suppose I am a bit sore. And then he puts a hand on his chest. Holy light sort of envelops his hand. And as it washes over him, his wounds seem to close. Well, that definitely helped a bit. Well, I suppose we're good and ready. Shall we head to the surface? Yes, please. Let's go. Mortis feels something trying to climb off his back and then fall with a little oof. And as you turn, you see Thorn there and he's grumbling to himself. He's like, how in the hell did the other Thorn do that all the time? You're like a battalion tower. You're so tall. Mortis just chuckles to himself. Honestly, I'm not sure how he did it either. I swear he was part spider or something. And then, uh, I suppose we'll start our trek. As we're kind of locking, Methuselah's just gonna... Is there anywhere we'd like to stop on the way back? I I, I know we should probably visit the Cobalts. We should probably visit them to tell them that Meepo is gone. And, you know, get your sword back, Mortis. Indeed. It may not be a bad idea to, to check in with Daphne either. Let her know that Belak and his corrupted tree have been destroyed. Um, I'd like to go see my tribe again. Then we'll do all those things. First things first, and they're gonna take Faith's cloak and drape it over her. Oh, thank you. Wow, I thought I'd never see this again. Oh yes, and if you both are up for it, I do have a great song to play to catch you up on all of our adventures down here. And then lightly 
quietly, just not to disturb any other, you know, lingering creatures that are down here. Just play it as we're going up. You guys start to make your way back to the surface. the end of this episode of the sunless citadel thank you so much for listening subscribe to us on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts and be sure to catch the next installment of the sunless citadel every thursday at 12 p.m est if you like the show please consider leaving a review it's a small way to show your support that goes a long way to connect with us follow our social media accounts and if you'd like to support us you can head over to our patreon to join the conversation view sneak peeks of our next project and discover our fantastic bonus content. Our intro score was created by Patrick Corden from Off the Beaten Path Musical. The Sunless Citadel can be found in Tales from the Yawning Portal by Wizards of the Coast. And the world of Nosomundos was created by Pedro Stockler. Thanks again for listening from all of us at the Storyteller's Tavern. Now take this bardic inspiration for your next adventure. Thank you.